Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, a podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a waffle stand here in 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Dybart. I'm Felisco. Before I introduce our guest, did you notice that I, I, I said we are a podcast, not the podcast? Correct. I, I'm, I'm slowly transitioning into, you know, the ether. Um, but uh, today, back together for maybe the last time. Mike Natale, Tom Lorenzo, our favorite Italians. Great to see you guys. Italians. I, I'm so like thrilled 1. to Like 1.5 Italians. Natale, I, what's the other? I mean, obviously Irish. I, I can look at your face. Uh, I, I, Irish. <laughs> cool. Yeah. That is, yeah. That is the face that's colonized many a people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, I, it's mainly Irish, Italian, and what they describe as Eastern European Jew. That's me, baby. just like... Which is just, I don't know. It's like the Johnny Cash song. I've been everywhere. We just keep, well, they, you know. There, they, there have been so many countries there in the same exact place where they can't, they can't really say you're Polish or German or Romanian or, you know, we're just Eastern European. Hell, the, 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 the town that my, my great-grandfather is from was Polish, then German, and is now, I shit you not, Russian, despite the fact that it is not connected to Russia in any way and sits in point. the middle of Poland. It, Real weird. Correct. So, yeah. so you're but, saying Russia likes to take things that's not there. It's interesting. Yeah. Who knew? Mm. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? I'm not saying that. Tom, let me but let, no, let uh, me let me just uh, let me just read a newspaper real quick and take a sip of my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um. So but, yeah. So what happened a few weeks ago was I I tweeted that I was having difficulty finding guests for the Palm Door winner Rosetta. Also to my, to our listeners, uh, yeah. I apologize. Get cultured, people. My voice is a little, I have a cold. It's not COVID, thankfully, but uh, I have a little bit of a cold. So my apologies about my voice. Um, So I went on Twitter and I was like, hey, 
I can't find a guest for for Rosetta. And and Mike Natale raised his hand as he as he wants to do, generally speaking, when it comes to tweets like this. Um, and I was like, fuck, yeah, let's bring Mike and Tom back for everyone's favorite uh, Belgian story um, <laughs> that, that won the that won the Fondor in unanimously uh, in, in 1999. Everyone's, everyone's I, I favorite wanna... comedy, Rosetta. I do want to, at some point in this episode, talk a little can just oh, in yeah. general, because I do feel like we haven't really talked about that, Kenny, in terms of the, the 99 can. No. Um, <laughs> so Kenny's now going to look up what one can. Well, um, I know what one it can. But I have to look up what the Cannes Film Festival actually is. So give me a second. I, it's, it's a film so festival I, in France. It is. It is. Um, it is. I mean, listen, we can we can actually just start there for all intents and purposes. Because there's a part of me that's like the Palme d'Or is one of those awards that within film circles is obviously very meaningful because hoity-toity people think that the French, you know, mean something. And I guess they do to some people. Um, not to Tom, though. Um, it's it's also one of those no, weird the French are, the, the, the French are way better. Way better than the English. But I'll also just say, this specific award is one of those awards that I feel like periodically a studio will be like, we can use this to get some box office dollars, right? Like it's won the Palme d'Or. It'll get people to come out and see it. And more times than not, North America wise, it doesn't really move the needle very much. Um, it does periodically. I mean, a Pulp Fiction winning is a big deal. Um, but, and, you know, an, an American film winning. Is a I big think deal. I would counter that it definitely it still helps in a smaller way for I mean, let's face it, Parasite won the Palm d'Or and that that put it in the map in a big way. That um, was a huge I, deal. Listen, yeah. I'm going to be real with you. I don't know. You know, you can sit down and look at raw box office numbers if you want and sure. say it doesn't. But I can tell you, look, I'm I'm on Long Island. Titan, the French serial killer yes, yes, woman yes. fucks a car sure. movie. Sure. Opened in some theaters in Long Island, based right. on the fact that it won the Palme d'Or, or that You're was right. never right. going to happen. When it's a movie, yeah, when yeah, it's a movie yeah. like Titan, it does help. When it's a movie yep. that's like these crazy French people. When it's a movie like Rosetta, it doesn't help because it's these obvious French people. So it, it really, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, yeah, I, I do think that it's not, in Parasite, I would also put into the Titan category, which is like, oh, you guys have, uh, you know, you, you varied interest. You're not, um, you're not total boring prudes but i wanted to real fast yes, refill Ken. we did a lot of films that were in competition to can this year oh did we a yeah. ton including some of the greats so i'll just rattle off the ones that we actually did great all about my mother cradle will rock felicia's journey ghost dog uh limbo um straight story so those are the ones that we've actually done those were in competition. <clears throat> All in competition. Then, okay. sir, sir, I feel like Tom and, uh, or Mike might have better uh, pronunciation. Un certain regard. Sure. Uh, the only one here is actually we haven't done, but we're about to do. Oh, no, there's two. So Ratcatcher. Yep, yep, was yep. played there. That was a big and, one, yeah. And also the Winslow Boy, which, you know, is one of our famous Lost episodes. Out of competition, who <laughs> are the fun ones? Out mm. of competition, they did Dogma, Ed TV, Entrapment, Ed TV? An Ideal Husband, The Limey. And my, and my best thing by Entrapment? I can't. Do you imagine so, what that? Uh, do you know why? Like, I, honestly, like, let's talk I about mean, Can right, for a minute. I, 
uh, Catherine Zeta Jones. No, Kenny talked about like the butt know, shot. Hoity French people. No, but you're talking about hoity toity French people. So Khan, you know, was it, it, the reason. Sorry, it what was that? What, what did you say? The Khan Film Festival. No, it's Can. Sorry, it's Can. It's Can. Okay. Film so I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Whatever makes it. Listen, guys, it's 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 your waffle stand. Uh, That's right. But, That's right. And and my illegal waffles. And 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 Yo. much. I like that it's it's your waffle stand. And much like Rosetta, anytime we're on, we kind of bully our way into taking over that waffle stand for yeah, a little bit. Um, you think so? But, anyway, but you know, it's um no no uh but there's part of the reason it had the prestige that it has is of course. It's all these films of the world coming together and these great filmmakers. And if you look at the early days of the Palme d'Or and the early days of the Cannes Film Festival, you just see some incredible and exciting stuff. But part of the problem with Cannes, I would say, in the last like 30, 40 years is that they tend to just, at this point, select films based on who's been here before, who's a name, who's this, who's that. And it really doesn't, like, you know, cradle well, they, use will- it as a, they use it as a launching pad. I mean, the reality is that, you know, when you premiere Elvis at Cannes, you're not necessarily out of competition. Yeah. You're basically just saying, like, we, we just want to have a bunch of pictures and do a big glitzy premiere. But or whatever. I, I'm saying it more in the idea of like this, this standard at which sure. it's now. I mean, and, and a perfect example is and I, I don't mean to dismiss them right off the bat. I actually really like their films, but like the Dardan brothers are the epitome of that. Every single fucking movie they have plays at Cannes every goddamn year, everyone. And it does kind of feel like it's con in some ways when I look at the selections and there are some good ones that do, you know, some great films that do break through. But like even looking at this list from this year, you know, in certain cases, you look at things, and you're like, did this get in just because it is so and so's name attached to this person or starring in it? I mean, it, it feels a little bit like the Emmys insofar as it's like. People complain about the Emmys now where they're basically like the, the easiest way to get an Emmy nomination is to have already won. And they, they kind of just keep picking the same things. Sure. Khan can be a bit wearying in like well, in looking at that lineup. That I way. can't. I mean, I, 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 you're totally yeah. right. I almost can't conceive of a film of a, of a film festival with with um, purely meta, meritocratic standards. Um, in fact, I think you guys should start with because it, because th- this is what film festivals are built on, right? Film festivals just, you know, little star fuckeries. And, you know, and, and whether these stars are big or small or, or what, what exactly they're signaling to the people, to their in-groups or whatever. But it would be really lovely to see a film festival with standards where the newest Arden Brothers movie uh, didn't get in because it didn't meet the standards of inclusion. No, for sure. It's, I mean, listen, the, the, the reality is that film festivals by and large, I mean, I was talking to my friend um, when I was home for, for TIFF uh, last month and, you know, we were talking about the days when like TIFF was about film goers, you know, and it was about going to see movies and it was about, there's still a lot of movies that play at TIFF and a lot of movies that play at most festivals that will never even see the light of day, um, which is obviously disappointing but like the reality is that there's just not money in that right i mean it all comes down to the bottom line which is dollars and these film festivals need to find ways to to line their pockets to keep themselves up and running and it's it's disappointing but it's the reality um i do want to talk about just a quick a quick rundown of just some palm door winners for our for our listeners before you do that i want to move i I want to make one more point about this because we we, we've talked about sundance a little bit we haven't really talked about can that much can isn't really you know, the, the kind of film festival I'm talking about right now. But what's particularly galling and disappointing is of all these film festivals, Sundance, Cannes, sure. 
um, even South by at this point, they're all such star fuckers that it's almost impossible for a true independent movie to break through at the film festival level. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you can't break through at the film festival level, how exactly can someone who is not in some way connected to a, uh, an established player yeah. break through in a way that I think people used to be able to, you, you know, really, there really used to be the dream of the million dollar movie um, running the table and actually getting a nomination or actually making, you know, more, more than its money back or actually birthing a person's entire career. That really happened all the time. And you have to kind of go to, I don't even know how you do it at this point. I don't know how you do it. I don't know. I don't know how you, how you, how, where that Venn diagram of film festivals that are kind of open to people outside of the in crowd and film festival and, and, um, film festivals that are covered enough where a movie that breaks out will actually, you know, have a life beyond the film festival. And to your point, Oh, and to your point, Kenny, like it's even more egregious than most people realize because um, an Oscar category that I pay attention to that I think five other people pay attention to is the shorts, right? That's usually everyone's bathroom break. You're looking forward to Taylor Swift winning this year. Well, so this is the thing. When, it, when they were like, oh, Taylor Swift. Yes. No, I, I, I don't give a shit because this is how it's been for a while. That's the thing that most people don't realize. Mm-hmm. When they were like, oh, Taylor Swift might yeah. win the Oscar for the Riz short. Riz won last this year. Riz yeah. won last year. The year before that was a Daily Show writer. And the year before that was like a multi nominee. I think one, one. No. Well, Kobe won Kobe for animated, animated. I'm just yeah. talking about live action. Trayvon Free won. So, yeah. Yeah. Like it has been when you look at the people yeah. who have actually won recently, like the last time that somebody, a, a true unknown, like amateur filmmaker by the broadest definition won that Oscar. It was in like 2010. It was Luke Matheny for God of Love. And even then he was in his master's program at NYU and certainly knew people to talk to. So the fact is like these film festivals, it's not right. just a matter of not being able to make a million dollar feature and get it into this festival or the fact that you know, the Indie Spirit Awards are basically, you know, synonymous with the Oscars, except for one straight nomination. Now, not even the short films can get traction. I, mean, yeah, I was really this. bitching about the Indie Spirit Award last year. Indie Spirit Award. I, I mean, I, a Netflix movie from a, I hate the term, but I think it's relevant here, from a Nepo baby, massive star made for like $8 million. It's not an independent movie starring... A fucking best actress winner is not an independent movie in the sense which movie of is this. Forgive me, I can't remember. This is the Lost Daughter, of course. Yes. Which, which is, it's just not what it's. It's not an independent spirit, yeah. I, and, and it, it it doesn't take away from the movie at all, at all. It certainly has the right to exist. It just doesn't have the right to ex- to, to take awards from these actual independent movies. It's funny I mean, that we all sound like old men complaining about things these days. I am an old going, man. I am an old man. Brothers, uh, let's, the let's Brothers go. McMullen could never win these days, I tell you. It's Tom, you look like you wanted to say something. Please speak. Listen, I'm going to be an old man that complains too, you know? I mean, I think it all just comes down to like uh, myopia with everything. It's, it's you know, all of these film festivals, they have their own personalities, basically. So like whatever is big and popular, whatever at con is big splashy at con. You're not going to get the same experience at TIFF or South by, you're not going to get the same experience at fantastic fest, which maybe is even is probably the closest you can get to at this point. Fantastic fest was the one I was thinking and beyond fest, but like, I don't know. Like you could actually find independent movies, foreign movies that aren't, 
you know, they 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 had Parasite its big year, but they have a, they always have like South Korean films or Japanese films and films from people that aren't like big, well-known names. You know, um, there's movies that are always premiering there that show up a year or two later on Shutter or whatever, you know, that aren't big, splashy things. But then they 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 premiere and then people kind of the word comes out. But even then, there's, you know, a sort of myopia to what they pick they're not going to show the newest dark dan's brothers movie and i think there's something to be said about each fest having its own personality but i think the more successful and more ingrained these festivals get the more uh, i don't know you know they they start smelling their own farts basically and they don't start taking chances and um uh it kind of gets to a discussion me and mike have all the time which is uh i feel like like 95% of people that, you know, compromise film Twitter or film fandom, they're not really film fans. They have films and types of films that they like, and that's what they think every movie should be. And they don't want to branch out into other things. So uh, like, like, you know, each person at each festival has its own personality. Um, The kind of people that, you know, spend thousands of dollars to go to France to fucking, you know, star fuck it can, they're not going to Fantastic Fest to watch the newest indie movies or action horror, whatever things. And, and vice versa of, as well. Yeah. And I was going to say, as vice versa, the people that are going to Fantastic Fest to drink their minds rotten for eight straight days are not going to France or going to Canada to see for TIFF or for, you know, right. like can. So uh, I think the film, I think the film festival thing is pretty indicative of just what, uh, film them is when it's yeah it's segmented fandoms and the oscars are its own you know we joke all the time the oscar you know there's plenty of movies that are just made to win oscars uh i haven't seen it yet but watching the trailer in front of of all fucking things pearl tar is not a movie that seems like it was made by anyone other than an algorithm made to get kate blanchett another oscar oh shit Um, richard brody's here richard brody's here it's a really good uh, movie. Uh, I, 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 uh, <laughs> coming to take down Tom. Come, come at me, motherfuckers! I fight dirty. Um, you, haven't, you haven't seen it, Tom. When you see Richard it, I, no, I, I, I'm, I'm saying based off of watching the trailer and seeing mm. a crowd full of horror movie fans seeing that trailer and going, "What the fuck am I even watching?" Yeah, that the marketing uh, I mean, guitar is not guys, doing guys, tar anything. Guys, both of these things, and then not a movie can be kind of algorithmically you know, made to win an Oscar and also be great. We've yeah. seen oh, so I'm not many. Saying it's not gonna be great. I know you're not. That's the point I'm making. I know you're not. That that I I I I think well, I think what we're seeing is there's only, in my opinion, three ways for a movie to make money in the theaters anyway. Big fucking tentpole, you know, hard genre or uh Oscar bait. That's it. So it's one of the three it's one of the three real fucking avenues to make money commercially. Of course I mean- you're going to make Ke- try to make movies to win Oscars. I mean, hell, Kenny brought up The Lost Daughter before, a movie that, by all intents and purposes, the second the Academy Awards ended this year, it ceased to exist. Yeah. It was a movie only made to get Olivia Coleman and maybe Dakota Johnson, if the Oscars were feeling a little generous, Oscar nominations. It doesn't exist anymore. Go to Netflix. They'll, you'll, cl- you'll type in The Lost Daughter and the TV will start laughing at you. 
I, I mean, <laughs> I not a bad I, movie, not a bad movie, but it's yeah, a, movie a that movie. just I, doesn't exist. I do think, I mean, listen, you guys, I agree with everything you guys are saying. It's a tough time right now, you know, in terms of breaking through, in terms of actually uh, getting people to watch your shit. It's hard to do. Um, it's why streaming has obviously become such, you know, a, a big part of, of this industry. I think that, you know, to play devil's advocate to what you guys are saying, I do think that technology has made it that much easier to make films, to distribute films, to get films out into the world. That's a positive. Um, it's, you know, getting people to engage with it. And, and, you know, I think that generationally we're seeing a divide in terms of the fact that people basically under the age of 35 don't really go to the movies. And if they do, it seems to be for horror movies. Or Aren't you guys under 35? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm 32. Yes. Yeah, Mark, Liz, Liz at the movie theater. I, I, you're you right. It's a saying. you're right. It's a positive, Phil. You're right. It's a positive. What I think we're grappling with is it's a complete paradigm shift. And, Absolutely. And Absolutely. that and that and and what, what I will you know in particular what I'm frustrated by is yeah. the fact that so many of the so many movies just aren't going to get made. Um, and I appreciate the I. Someone brought this up about the blacklister or something like that. How all the top blacklist scripts, generally not all, but so many of the top blacklist scripts are serious dramas or period dramas, or you know, and then you know, the, these occasional blacklist bait, which I've certainly written. So, whatever. Um, they're not the kind of movies that actually get made, you know, yeah, like the movies on the blood list are the kind of movies that actually get made. So then actually get an audience. So like, really, what is the blacklist at this point? Like, it's kind of just a, it's a relic of, of well, the, what, what execs think make a good script. I do wonder, I do wonder if the blacklist, and again, I, I don't know the answer to this because I don't know shit about features really, or the future business, but like, I do wonder if it helps you get repped. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, oh, getting on the blacklist fucking rules. Okay. Um, Getting on the blacklist is, is a fucking career maker. A hundred percent, but it still is like, it still is rewarding people for something that, you know, doesn't actually make people money anymore. A hundred percent for sure. Can I, um, can I pivot back to the Palm door? Like Phil was trying to do. Well, earlier, yeah, no, I was just going to, let me read a couple of these titles okay. so that Jesus, our listeners have some a sense teacher's of, pet. of <laughs> I deal with this shit all the time. So, <laughs> um, so in 80, all that jazz one, which obviously is, uh, is, is a, a big Kenny, uh, Big Kenny favorite masterpiece. Big masterpiece. Tom favorite too. Um, it won with uh, Akira Kurosawa's uh, Kajimusha. Kaj- I don't know how you pronounce that. If I pronounce that correctly, hell of a um, movie. Okay, cool. Uh, there's a bunch of. I mean, listen, Paris, Texas, um, Sex Lies and Videotape, which we talked about on our 89 Patreon. We talked about that a little bit. How that obviously was a big deal it was an american film it was the beginning of soderbergh's illustrious career uh wild at heart wins in 90 barton fink wins in 91 then lynch and the cohen split it again down the road um they split it as a leave in 2000 or is it 2001 don't they didn't they split best director at Cannes? oh oh i thought you meant the palm door i'm like 2000 is dancer in the dark yeah, Dancer of the Dark Moons in 2000, but they split. I might have been in 2001. Whenever uh, The Man Who Wasn't There and Mulholland Drive came yeah, out, they split the yeah. best director thing between the two of them, which I think is interesting. Polanski's The Pianist wins. Elephant wins. Fahrenheit 9-11. Like, again, there's, this is, this is one of those things with Tree of Life. Um, recently, The Square, Shoplifters, an amazing Japanese film that if people haven't seen it, 
go watch that movie. Um, it's just interesting. You know, blue is the warmest color. A more um, it's yeah. a wide spectrum of. So are we are we about. doing the the most boring? It uh, might. Pondor, Pondor it certainly winner. seems no. to be the the least showy. No. No. So here's what I'll he say did, about he, the Pondor. Can Phil just said the tree of life. Come on. <laughs> Love the tree of life. <laughs> here's, here's what I'll say That's about great. the Pondor. Here's what I'll say about the Pondor that I think will appeal to Kenny a bit. On a on a Patreon episode, I think about Adventureland, so I'm not sure how this topic came up, but sure, you guys know sure. how you do. Uh, Kenny talked about the Oscars and Best Picture and talking about how what he wants from Best Picture is not necessarily the best movie, but the movie that reflects the time. Because mm. of the jury structure of Cannes, and because the jury changes every year, a fascinating thing about the Palm d'Or winners in most years, whether I think they're good or bad, right or wrong, a fascinating thing is that when you look at them, they are very reflective of the climate at the time. Right. And not You're necessarily. Right. does appeal to me. So, for example, we mentioned Fahrenheit 9-11 one, right? That, sure. The year Fahrenheit 9-11? Okay. Do you have any idea who ran the jury the year Fahrenheit 9-11 won? I don't. So in competition that year, the same year as Fahrenheit 9-11 is Old Boy by Park Chan-wook. Sure. Mm-hmm. The head of the jury is Quentin Tarantino. Wow. By all accounts, everyone would think, well, of course, he's going to push for, for Old Boy. But even Tarantino was like, look, it was the time. We all felt it. We were galvanized. Spielberg's jury is the one that gives it to Blue is the warmest color. Yeah. A guy who's, you know, but it's about but the time and the climate. And if you look at, I'm sorry, I'm, but if you look at Titan winning that year, people are like, oh, it's about fucking car. It was a movie. It is a movie entirely about gender and gender identity and struggle, you know, and the struggle to cover that at a time where that was, you know, that was the vibe. Who's, who's, whose jury was that? I do know the answer to this one. To tan last that year? That was Spike Lee's, wasn't it? Was Sp- yeah, because yeah. yeah, he accidentally gave Isn't it away. That yes, that's right. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Uh, I, yes. I, do wanna, I don't disagree with you, Mike, but I yeah. also just want to throw in another element to it, mm-hmm. which I do think is that a lot of these filmmakers that run these juries also tend to back films that they could never make. Yes. Right? Like yeah. movies that are just completely outside their purview, which is why like the, the Rosetta wins. It's Cronenberg that's yeah. that's running the, the, the jury in, in 99. So like, isn't that it, lovely? It, it everything, is, right? everything you guys are saying is so nice. It makes me, it, it does, it does, you know, in general. And I think we're four sure. fantastic film fans um, who have, you know, wide. You're I'm, very I'm one of the best. One of the best, <laughs> one of the finest, you know, large purview yeah. uh, uh, things that, that, that we that we appreciate. And I, I, you know, like, for instance, always kind of, you know, Spielberg, his films have, you know, a certain reputation. I guess sure. soft would be the reputation for, for some of them. Um, soft and sentimental and cloying and whatever. But if you look at some of the filmmakers he's empowered yeah. It's pretty wild. He made a fucking Toby Hooper movie. He made a fuck. He made a. He took he took on the Kubrick film. I mean, he's just he, he clearly mm-hmm. has a pretty wide purview I mean, of things yeah. he enjoys. I think they all do. I think they yeah. all do. I think every great filmmaker loves That's everything cool. from everywhere. That's one of my favorite things about Nolan is that uh, Wally Fister just kind of like outed him in an interview one time. Oh, he loves Michael Bay and he loves the Transformers movies. It's like, really? Christopher Nolan, all people, is watching. Listen, the Transformers movies, miss them. 
Then they're going to keep making Transformers movies without Michael Bay. I don't give a fuck. They're not going to be insane. They're going to be safe four quadrant bullshit pandering movies. And I don't, I don't care. I want to see Optimus Prime fight God. Okay. There, there are I want to so see- many situations like that, right? Where, where, where these great filmmakers will like ride for some movie. You're like, you like that. But I, I do think making a yeah. movie, people who are actually on the inside of this, Making a movie is so difficult and so hard and making and, and you're like you said, Phil, making something that unlike something that you make that you really can enjoy is 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 really, you know, kind of impressive. Like one of to me, one of the most wild ones like ever is I believe Sofia Coppola gave her like top 10 of all time and put daddy's home on the list. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's just, you know, I whatever. <laughs> like yeah. I, I don't think she was doing it for cool points. I think she was just being honest. I mean, it's it's you know, it's like Paul Thomas Anderson talking about Big Daddy being one of his favorite films of '99, which, to, for all intents and purposes, makes sense with Punch Drunk Love coming out shortly thereafter. But I I do think that like, you know, I, I do think that when when you really come down to it, can even with all its star fuckery, even with all its repetition, I do think that as a film festival, and certainly that you know the the awards that they give out <clears throat> are you know feel filled with merit i do think that that is you know the, the palm d'or does mean something you know i was just a tip as i mentioned i don't think the audience award really means much um in fact to vote for the for the audience award i'm not sure you even have to have seen the film you just go on a website and you just like vote for it so like i don't even know that it actually really has much uh merit when everything is said and done and it tends to go to a big oscar you know movie coming down the pike but I do think that the that that the Palme d'Or, for all intents and purposes, does feel like the pinnacle film festival award. I don't know that anything really comes close to it. I mean, so. I guess because it's uh, you know, it's filmmaker centric, basically, and you know who's giving out the awards. It's not like the Oscars sure. where it seems like nobody really still understands that the Oscars isn't like five guys in a room just handing out the awards every year. It's like a co like each award is voted on by like each right right union and shit like they keep saying oh the fucking oscars they did it again it's like no it's it's like thousands of people voting like like uh, i like i get it it sucks that green book won whatever but like <laughs> but like but you make a you make a good guy in, in you a make room a good point tom about about like the jury itself i mean the most contentious one that i can think of and that comes off the top of my head is the coppola year when he made such a stink at a crash and was like simply refused to give it to crash so they created like (laughs) they basically gave it like an audacity award essentially um which i think is absurd what did what won that year i can't even remember tom i feel like talking about the the crash year crash year crash year at Cannes. What yeah. year was that? Does anybody remember? The- that would have been like, like 95 or right? Yeah, maybe 94. Yeah. Well, 94 uh, would have been Pulp Fiction's year. So that's, 90, that's well, Eastwood running. Well, because it came out Underground? 95. Is that what? Oh, Underground. Oh, Underground's Co- good. Costa Rica. Yeah, it's one of the best movies ever. Yeah. All right. No, it's, it is like this is, but this is the weird thing with Cannes too, is there are certain movies that won the Palme d'Or that are very good that also just don't exist, that just you can't find anywhere. Like Rosetta. Like, it's not that like it doesn't that. exist. Yeah. It is on yeah. HBO Max, and our listeners can go and watch it if they like. I'm going to give a little bit of context for Rosetta here so that people like know Rosetta. What, what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> Belgian 17-year-old Rosetta, played by Emily Dick. How do you say her last name? Does anyone know what's her last name? My apologies. It's probably uh, a I'm going to say Dick. I would have deferred to the Canadian <laughs> on that one. 
Uh, I just I said Dickene. I don't know. Uh, lives in a dilapidated, dilapidated trailer that has no running water with her only indignant and uh, alcoholic mother for company. After losing her job at a food processing plant, the teen struggles to find work in a bid to avoid falling into the same traps as her mother, but is rebuffed at every turn. Only Rike, uh, who works at a nearby waffle stand, seems to care for Rosetta. But even that budding friendship has a price. Rosetta screened at the Cannes Film Festival, as we mentioned, where it won the Palme d'Or and Best Actress on September 29th, 1999. At Later opened on November 5th, 1999, against The Bone Collector, The Bachelor, House on Haunted Hill, and The Insider. Uh, it would go on to make $5.6 million. It has 90% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 83 from audiences. Roger Ebert gave the film three and a half stars and said, Rosetta is a young woman determined to find a job at all costs. She is escaping. Uh, she's escaping from the world of her alcoholic mother, a tramp who lives in a tramp, a tramp who lives in a <laughs> ramshackle trailer. <laughs> Gee, and, what do you tell us how you really feel, Rod? No, that's and not. There's there are other kind of tramps, like a Charlie Chaplin tramp. It's true. She's just that's like right. Charlie she Chaplin. Have, she did have film. a stick with a bag over her. Yeah, over her shoulder <laughs> that's point. really what she is. Uh, <laughs> she's a she's a modern boxcar kid. There's there's, there's, there's a there's, Rosencrantz Stern movie where she's at like the asylum and she's just getting sure, into hijinks sure. and everything, and she's leading like a <laughs> a, a patient uprising. Rosetta lives in a ramshackle trailer and runs away near the beginning of the story, leaving her daughter to fend for herself. Oh, sorry, that's the mother. Uh, Rosetta sees an abyss yawning beneath her and will go to any lengths to avoid it. Her story is told in a film that astonishingly won the Palme d'Or at the 1999 Cannes Film Festival, as well as Best Actress for its star. The wins were surprising, not because this is a bad film. It's un- in its uncompromising way. It's a very good one. But because films like this, neorealist, without pedigree, downbeat, stylistically straightforward, do not often win it can. Variety's grudgingly positive review categorized it as an extremely small European art film from Belgium. Not just European, but Belgian. What happens next, I believe, for you to discover the film has an odd subterranean power. It doesn't strive for a sympathy or make any effort to portray Rosetta as a colorful, winning, or sympathetic character. It's a film of economic determinism, the story of a young woman for whom employment equals happiness, or so she thinks until she has employment and is no happier, perhaps because that is something she simply has never learned to be yeah i mean uh, it's, i mean i didn't have any idea what this movie was about when i press play on this thing and i don't know about you kenny did you look up anything about this beforehand no i only i mean literally only the hbo max synopsis which basically is a girl will do anything to get a job <laughs> so neither of you guys had seen this before is what you're saying no um, and well, and my only acknowledgement of this film okay. if i'm being completely honest the only this film if I'm being completely frank, I think we would have covered it just because I like to think we would have done the Palm Door. Oh, I know the anyway, reason we right? both covered it. David Sims the, put it on his fucking like yeah. You know, the top David of his Sims top had it as number four on his on his top ten of the year, and we found right. that to be compelling. Well, so, he, when we went to New York and we talked with David Sims about Mystery Man, I remember he went through his list kind of. He's like, you guys going to talk about Rosetta? And in the back of my head, I was like, now we are. I mean, like, I, I just genuinely probably... Had, he had Bo Travail very high, did, which we've yeah. done, and we're very happy we did it. And Rosetta, there was very high. And Rosetta, I don't even think I had heard of it at that point. Neither did I. So we... <laughs> no, we, no idea. We so I'm the only person who saw this. I thought Phil. I thought Phil misspelled something when he sent the the message on Twitter. I'm like, Rosette, what the fuck is he talking about? I'm not trying to learn a new language today. What is he saying? Come on. Yeah. I mean, um, it's yeah. I think Rosetta Stone 
which is literally where my brain goes. And then obviously there's this whole Rosetta Law thing, which came into play after this movie came out, but was not actually a correlate. Basically, there's this law in Belgium prohibiting employers from paying teen workers less than minimum wage, which came into play after this film, but was not actually in any way connected to this film. I love this is such a different energy than I thought I was coming into for this one, man. You You thought we would have seen this film? Yeah. But more than that, I was just expecting I like this, Tom and I, I love that you think we, we saw yeah. Tom and I, I Tom love, and I, I were making jokes on the way in. Tom yeah. and I were making jokes like when we fir- when you first messaged us because we were both at Comic-Con at the time and about how like, well, you know, if we're all swept up in Dardenne Brothers talk and, and Tom doesn't want to talk about that, he could just pull out facts about Season of the Witch or something. And in fact, yeah. it's, we've gone the opposite <laughs> route. So I'm the only one who saw this prior to a week ago. Well, you thought you guys thought that we would be like big Dardenne heads. No, I, I didn't. I didn't. I, didn't I think figured. Big, big dark I'll be honest. I Can I be I, honest? I, I, I thought at the very least, Phil would have for the fact that I assumed no, because I assumed you would have come to it the same way I did, which is in 2014, two days, one night comes out with the Marion Cotillard mm-hmm, performance mm-hmm. that everybody was talking about, got the Oscar nomination, and when two days, one night came out, that was my first time seeing a Dardan Brothers movie. And then I looked and I'm like, pro- yeah, because it was so hard, especially at that time, for a foreign language performance sure. to break through in the Oscar acting. So two days, one night, and it got like, a, again, got a theatrical release here on the island. So I was able to yep. see it and it like had a big buzz. And then when you find out this movie, which is a very compelling movie, is made by one of the only filmmakers, filmmaking team, but filmmakers to win two Palm Doors, that sent me to go like, all right, that's pretty sick. If they're up there with Francis Ford Coppola, I should I'll probably this. check I'll, these out. I'll say this, Mike. Um, I'm flattered. You should be uh, flattered. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, flattered. I'm insulted. <laughs> I'm flattered that you thought I would have done all of that like work. <laughs> that that, that I would have put all of this together. That I, I just appreciate that. But you know. That's just what Mike does. He does a lot of work. It's, it's all homework. I, I appreciate that about him. I think that's great. Uh, can, I, can I just say... How yeah. how how funny would it have been for somebody to do a double feature in '99 of this movie and House on Haunted Hill? Yeah, Incredible. I mean, <laughs> holy! I mean, I would have done it because I'm looking. But like, imagine like just some family like, oh yeah, we're in whatever L.A. for the weekend. We got some time to kill. Let's see some movies at the Chinese theater or whatever. We're gonna go see uh, House on Haunted Hill, new spooky movie, and then Rosetta. Ooh, what can that be? Oh my god! What's the weirdest uh, weirdest double feature you guys have done in the theaters? Uh, um, Max Payne and W. <laughs> That's a good one. I mine actually includes an Oliver Stone movie as well. Is it Any Given Sunday? No, mine was a triple feature. Oh shit! The, okay, go ahead. One of the greats of all time. Okay, <laughs> I saw. I believe it was Mighty Ducks two. No, 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 no. My bad. Pulling back. It was Sudden Death. Wrong hockey sure. movie. Sure. Into grumpy old men or grumpier old men. Mm-hmm. Hell into, yeah. Into Nixon. Hell yeah. yeah. What, Wait, what Nixon was your chaser? So I... it was, it was, I saw two movies with friends in the morning. Like it was, yep. a, it was like an 11 and a, and a two or whatever. And my parents and I had plans to go, and Nixon, I was 13 years old, to go see Nixon that night. So I saw those three movies in one day. I thought I didn't have one. You just made me think of one. And I have so many Dardan Brothers notes. But, you know, I'll dive into this for a second. Shocking. Uh, mine was mine was Good Night and Good Luck, followed by Big Mama's House 2. That's Whoa. Uh, and I can tell you, I'll tell you why. Because, so I was seeing, a, I, was, I was in like middle school, I think. Uh, and I was seeing a girl at the time. 
and we nice. just wanted to get dropped off at the movies to buy a ticket to any movie sure. to be in the back row of the movie theater. But what we, what we I, is, those I the made goals. the mistake texting. Uh, yeah, um, I made the mistake of picking a movie that I actually wanted to see and mentioning to my father who was going to drop us off. Oh, we want to go see Good Night and Good Luck. Sure. To which my dad went, well, I love Edward R. Murrow. I'll go see that. <laughs> that is that is so, the most Vic Natale fucking yes, story I've yes. ever heard. Of. So big Vic so we, energy right there. So we all just sat reverently and watched Good Night and Good Luck. And then he was like, "Oh, you guys want to hang out in the shopping center?" He's like, "All right, just give me a call when you want to, you know, get picked up or whatever." So then she and I are scrambling, like, "All right, we got to find whatever is playing next." And that happened to be Big Mama's House too, mind you. I had not seen Big Mama's House one, had what no context what we're going into. Sounds wait, wait, like wait, you wait, didn't wait, watch Big Lost in the Mythology. That is a weird movie to suck face to. It's a weird movie to do anything to. So, yeah, uh, to speaking <laughs> of, of, of weird uh, things. Yeah, let's talk Rosetta for wait, 10 minutes. Wait, Phil, no the rest of us gave ours. What's yours? Oh, I genuinely don't know. I, I, I don't generally do double bills. Um, so I, 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 I off the top, honestly, off the dome, I don't I don't have one. All right. Well, you at least then at this point have to say what what movie you snuck into as as a rambunctious teen in the back row. I mean, what's the weirdest movie you ever snuck into and, you know, back back row? That's the big question. I mean, I snuck into. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I don't know if our listeners know this. I'm Canadian. So uh, in in Canada, uh, you can't see R rated films like you just straight up can't see them. Full stop. It's not like with a parent. You can't see them. So there's a lot of R-rated films that I snuck into when I was not, you know, 18 yet. Um, I snuck into Alien Resurrection, for instance. I snuck into Pulp Fiction several times. Like, it's just so it's the sneaking in component for me. That's where my brain goes towards just like movie. Like, I just sneak in to see Ransom. Like, Ransom got an R-rating. Good movie. Uh, so it, it's just it was one of those things where like my whole metrics are all kind of fucked because you guys could just go and see rated R movies with like older siblings and shit. So you know, my um, I, I was, my my friend yeah. Sam. Last thing I saw Scream Two. I saw both Screams in New York City. Where you know I, I'm mm-hmm. not from New York City, where I presumed it was easier to sneak in, and it kind of was. Uh, uh-huh. Scream <laughs> Two. What came out in '97? Right, '96, '97, yep. something yeah, like that. '97. Uh, I was 15 years old. My friend Sam was very tall, but not particularly old looking. And we were able to get in with Sam telling the guy that I was his son. <laughs> and it worked. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the weird piece of trivia that I was going to uh, uh, tell our listeners is that uh, Emily, the, the, the lead actress of this film, uh, won the CFC Award for Most Promising Actress from the Chicago Film Critics Association. But she tied with Julia Stiles from 10 Things I Hate About You, which I think is unbelievable. What, well, what she tied a con, too. Not yes. with Julia Stiles, but she tied a con with um, um, Severine Cannell from uh, Le Humanité. So sure. everyone's, everyone knows that. Well, um, Le Humanité was like the one they wanted to... That got Best Actor, too, and maybe got Director. Like It kind of felt like they split the difference there at con that year. Mike, Mike just walked into a podcast that's just going to like shove him into a locker. It really, like, for a minute after look i love this show and i'm so grateful to have been on this show so many times but let's remember like i've done 
Pokemon. I've done Wolverine. I've done Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It's when true. you're like, when you're like, hey, let's, uh, why don't you come on and do the Palm Door winner? I'm like, now it's Mike's time to shine. Now I can bring my cinephile Listen, bona fides and I get in here and it's just, it's, it's the just frat like house energy. <laughs> The frat house frat energy house of like energy. I don't know Belgian whatever. Hey, I, don't, well, I so mean, all right, wait, all right. You know, let's hand the podcast over to you, okay? No, I don't need all right, uh, all, all right, Richard Corliss or whoever you are. Let's hand it over to Mike. I need a good nap. Let's leave the discussion of of, of Rosetta, Mike. You go right ahead. You get, like, what 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 do you want to talk about? I just, I mean, I do think that this film. I mean, again, I, this was one that struck me when I. Because I went back, they won the Palm Door twice, the Darnell Brothers. Uh, in 99, they win it for Rosetta. They win it again in 2005 for L'Enfant or The Child. Um, an interesting thing to me, I saw Two Days One Night, right? Which I, I was so struck by when I saw it. It was my first Darnell Brothers movie. And I think everybody was struck by it. And then I went back and watched Rosetta. And my uh, esteem for Two Days One Night maybe dropped a bit because I think if. Whenever, whatever your first Dardan Brothers movie is, if you consider like everything from Le Promise on, because Le Promise is what they consider their first official film, mostly because their first film is a weird movie about the Holocaust that's really bad. So they just pretend they didn't do that. Um, There's the Dardan Brothers are this weird thing where it's like you watch their movies and you go, these guys tend to only make movies about white, poor Belgians. And then you watch any time they try and do anything else and go stick to the white, poor Belgians. They had a movie. One of the only movie of theirs I've never finished young Ahmed, where they're like, you do really you want to see are, our Darden head? I've seen a, a fair number of their films. I mean, I, you know, and the reason it is partly is I, from the outset, I shouldn't like their movies. Right. I re I, I don't love, air quotes, neo-realist films. And I really don't like movies that err on the side of poverty porn. And I think that the Dardans do manage to walk this incredible tightrope where, like, I should not like these movies on the surface, but they balance it so well because, especially Rosetta, it doesn't get talked about much. You guys are right. But when it does get talked about, I do get a little frustrated that I feel like a lot of times it gets reduced to the terms neo-realist and about poverty. This movie is not about poverty. That happens to be its setting, as the Dardan films tend to be. I mean, Le Infant, which is my favorite of theirs, if anybody hasn't seen it, I was telling Tom, it's a wild-ass movie because for 10 minutes, it's just kind of, you know, neo-realist, like, this guy's broke and he's trying to take care of his uh, girlfriend and the baby they had together. And then 10 minutes in, he shows up to the girlfriend and goes, I sold our baby, we've got money now. And the rest of the movie is dealing with that and i remember seeing it for the first time and just kind of feeling like holy shit uh obviously there's a baby he did, sure. well that's the whole thing yeah he just Can sells he? the baby sure. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but with rosetta I yes think you can like, <laughs> I, know. I i i think with rosetta what i find so um compelling about it is mm. that it's not about poverty poverty is the setting but it is a character study um, it, it, many people who talk about it and they just pretend that the whole movie is about like, well, you know, if only she had money, this is really about class, but it's not, you know, Ebert calls it out where he talks about that. What, what is the term he uses? Economic determinism. Right. Yeah. And in the criterion, uh, in the criterion, the booklet uh, is written by Kent Jones, who, um, for folks who saw Diane, that was his debut feature uh, a couple of years ago. 
Uh, he says it's a film about mania, about this magical idea fixe maintained by a girl who blots out anything and anybody standing in the way of its enactment. I think that what makes Rosetta so compelling to me anyway is that and, and this goes to what Tom said in his letterbox in a way, which is Rosetta's kind of an asshole. Um, and I mean this in a, and, and and I think up an asshole. and that's the thing. It's the same way that a movie that recently won Best Picture at the Oscars, Nomadland. If you think Nomadland works, um, which, you know, I have my mixed feelings on that film. But if you think it works, it works because Fern is complicated mm-hmm. that that the movie works because people who viewed Nomadland and we saw people who praised that movie and talked about it just about like poverty or living on the outside when that movie is really when it's working that movie is about watching a person realize the effects of their own selfishness or closed offness that is a person who got so swept up in their idea of there's no way out for me unless i do it myself and ultimately realizing there were opportunities along the way to get out i think what makes this film so compelling to me why I, I like Rosetta so much, whereas Tom can attest, there are so many movies that have this same kind of vibe that I just find exhausting. Mm-hmm. Why this one really works for me is it is not a movie about poverty. It is a movie about achieving some degree of self-awareness and uh, outside of one's circumstances and recognizing one's own agency uh, toward making a change. And I yeah. think that that's what makes this so engaging. I, I, I see all of that. And I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I, I guess it's just, you know, um, I had to watch this in two sittings just based on my schedule. So, you know, that might not have done the film any favors. But, you know, it, it's um, I, I had a real tough time with the the cinematography, if I'm being honest. It gave me a bit of a headache. It's all like super fucking shaky and close up. It's that's, just tough. that's them. That's everything. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, I, I just, it, it's just not, it's just not my bag. And I found it, uh, I found it uh, distracting and uh, um, a little annoying, but um, I appreciate how much time they want to spend on her face in her headspace, all of that. I think it's effective in that regard. Um, the real asshole of this movie, as far as I'm concerned, is the mom. <laughs> um, wow. Sure. Um, I, I the, the, the mom is a that's a tough character. Um, that that is that is a a, a tough. Um, yeah, it's just I I I found the movie. I, I agree with you, Tom. That it's it's easy to be reductive about a movie like this, especially um, a foreign film that is you know uh, about hardship and all the like. This movie, for all intents and purposes, I imagine is what a lot of people in North America think when you say a foreign film, right? Like a film yeah, that is downtrodden yeah. and brutal and, and all of that. Um, I, I, I do love that this film embraces the Belgian waffle in, in ways that, that, you know, uh, when she's eating a waffle, I literally wrote, is that a Belgian waffle? And then literally <laughs> the movie becomes about Belgian waffles, which I'm, yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Listen, it's a good, bit. I love a waffle. Yeah. Waffles are good. Um, I I appreciate that this manic energy that the movie immediately starts in with her getting fired and having like throwing a fit and literally having to be dragged out of the premises. Um, She's Tom. Did you get the excerpt I sent you from the Criterion essay? Yeah, I text you that Kent Jones. Okay, fine. I thought you would find (laughs) Kent Jones when describing response. Phil, when describing what you're describing, the manic energy. 
the manic energy of it. Kent Jones draws yes. the comparison where he goes, you know, it feels like something out of the Born Ultimatum or Old Boy. And I'm like, no, I never in a million years would I have drawn those I was, lines. I, I was going to that either. I was going to make the joke about when Phil said he was getting sick from the shaky cam that they're the they're the Paul Greengrass of neorealism movies. It's just like, yeah. oh, this would be cool if I could watch your fucking movie, guys. It made but, me uh, think more yeah. of um, fucking Cloverfield, where I literally almost threw up in the theater. Dude, it w- yeah. I would have lost my shit if at the end of the movie she's about to kill herself and a fucking Cloverfield happens. I did. I'm not a, a even joking. I did happens. think about doing the meme is dead, but you remember that meme <laughs> that was going around of what if Michael Bay directs it? And, you know, what if Michael Bay directed what? If we just panned up to Rosetta's face, she stops crying, looks serious, and just starts playing Linkin Park. You know, what if we... Well, this is... Because there's a whole running thing in this movie that her stomach hurts and she keeps, like, keeling over in pain. Yeah. yeah. Period cramps is what what she's suffering from. Yeah. Yeah. I... I, Whatever. I wasn't paying attention. Um, (laughs) I was, but also... This is... This um, is my Thomas Crown Affair episode. That's what this is. But, um, <laughs> this is what this is. That kept putting... That kept you wanted a prestige so- movie, motherfucker? Here we go. All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, I, they, kept, they kept focusing on it as if it was going to be like something that pays off at the end. Or oh, I was no. like, oh, wouldn't it be fucking hilarious if it ends like Titan and she just gives birth to a car? Her That'd stomach just breaks and then she gives birth All to right, a car. All right, can I confess one thing of my own ignorance here for a minute? Sure. On this, just one. Yeah. So I, I told I watched this in 2014, right? You know, this was this was about a little less than a decade ago. Um, you know that thing, and I'm just gonna own this. You know that thing that we all deal with as guys, which is like we don't necessarily have the best understanding of of some of the struggles and difficulties that that the women in our lives go through, right? Specifically yeah. menstruation. Yeah, yeah don't, specifically don't, menstruation, don't, right? Don't let me in there. I'm an ally. Fuck you. Um, but but you know that thing where like shit like that's going on and you feel like you want to you know you you wish you could be helpful yeah you can't so i i had the her with the hair dryer has stuck in my mind for so long um it's just it's a great image in that opening scene with the hair dryer but there is this thing where my stupid brain anytime someone in my life has complained about cramps where like i remember that that scene and my brain wants to go well have you tried a hair dryer as though to say, like, number one, the terrible idea. That movie is going out of its way to say it's a bad idea. But number two, if it were a practical solution, surely she would surely. have thought of this before I Correct. came up with it. And yet every time there's that part of my brain that thinks, like, this is my slumdog millionaire moment where I'm like, there was a thing I experienced before that can help me now. That's like, amazing. you know, I don't know. <laughs> but, I, I, yeah. yeah. I, I do think that... Um... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's, it's, the, the, it's almost a little bit too much to some degree. I'm not suggesting that, um, that, that, that menstruation cramps aren't a very real thing. They are. But it does kind of feel at times where it's like you're giving Rosetta so much so many hardships that it does feel a little bit like poverty porn at times. I mean, when I, when I, you know, at, at every turn, it feels as though she's grappling with some of the thing. Now I'm not suggesting that your thesis statement earlier, Mike, isn't true, which is, I do think it's about self-actualization to some degree or another. It's about her taking control of her life. Um, and depending on how you interpret the end of this film, perhaps she goes on to live a something close to a happy life. I don't know that that seems plausible, but it's certainly possible. I think I think it's not so much about even her taking control of her life so much as her being willing to surrender it a bit in sure. terms of sure. one of the things that's great. You mentioned, oh, the real villain of this film is, is Rosetta's mom. But I think that the important thing about her mother in this film is the fact that, you know, and this is something I deal with a lot. And I think we all have to deal with as we get older is we have to actually know. This is something Tom and I talk about constantly just in general in life is like actually knowing who you are versus your idea of who you are. Sure. You know, and it's little things like we know so many people, I mean, look, we're all writers to one degree, you know, in, in one capacity or another, right. Mm -hmm. We all tell ourselves things of if I just blank, if I had a B and C, Mm -hmm. that's what I need to motivate me to blank. And we've all learned that 90% of those things we tell ourselves aren't actually true. That like times where we sit down and go, what I actually need and and people people struggle with that. The thing that I love about the the parallels in this film, in a way, yep. is that Rosetta's mother, we all recognize Rosetta's mother is bad because her mom is sleeping around with guys, taking money for you know, who knows what. <laughs> she's, she's she's drunk. She's, and anytime, but anytime Rosetta tries to question this and like go to her and be like, Mom. Knock it off. Her mom is very just kind of like her whole vibe is fuck you. You can't tell me what to do. I'm doing what I got to do to get by. I know what I need. I know what I got to do. And what I which is what which is what motivates, quite frankly, so many people who are whether they're addicts or any other kind of struggle is this like, fuck you. You don't know me like I know me. Right. And what I think is so great is that by the end, rather than treat Rosetta as a parallel, we're like, she's drugging and drinking like her mom. The thing that Rosetta realizes is we both need to die. No, what she realizes, (laughs) what she realizes is I I have hurt. Like she, she fucks the guy. But her and her mother before the suicide I'm talking about, I'm saying like the, the revelation that she kind of has is even though I have told myself I'm not like my mom because I don't drink like she does and I don't sleep around like she does. The monster inside of me, the thing, the part of my personality that makes me do things like screw the only person that ever tried to help me out of a job is the same kind of I got to get mine. Fuck you. I'm going to do what I need to do. And don't you tell me what I need because only I know what I need and only I can look out for myself. One of the struggles that I think one of the things that I find so universal about this film and, and that element of Rosetta is. So many people, I think, who have any kind of issue where they look at a parent and say, I don't want to become that. Sure. Focus on external things and focus on 
kind of like, well, I don't want to be like uh, my dad and he was an accountant. So I'm going to become a fucking, you know, playwright or whatever. But they don't actually like focus my literal on, story. My. Well, this is like, but I'm you know, this is something you've talked about it on the show before, though, Kenny, about this idea of like having to recognize in yourself like it's not about the external things and it's not about like individual decisions. It's about like what motivates you and how you approach things. And I think I that Rosetta's journey in this film is her recognizing like it's my approach to things rather than my actual actions. I, I, I gotta say though, like it is like the way this movie handles the mother is actually, it's, it's kind of fucking funny. Like maybe <laughs> they're not meaning it to be funny. Maybe it's like an yeah. execution issue, but it's literally just like, it almost feels like a joke in a, in like a, I have Halloween ends on, so I'm going to say, like, in a fucking Danny McBride show or something, where, like, anytime Rosetta turns around, and then she turns back around, it's like, oh, God, she's sucking another dick. It's, it's, it's like, definitely... Oh, if, I turn, if I turn, it like, literally, if she takes her eyes off her, she's going to disappear and be, like, in a in a gas station sucking dicks for, like, for, for a can of soda. It's, it's like, it's like I, okay, I do... we get, her mom fucks for money. Like, she doesn't have to do it every time she turns around. It feels like it's a mixture of that and Weekend of Bernie's because it feels like when she's like dragging her around, it's like it. It I I know that it's not meant for jokes, but I do agree with you, Tom. That there's a part of me that's like the character is is so far gone that it's teetering into a place of like absurdity a little. That's bit. what you get for taking this seriously, Mike. It's kind of what you get. It's kind of what you were saying though about how like they keep hammering the so much stuff throughout the movie yeah. like that's why I, that's why like i kind of made like the period stuff they were focusing on it so much i yeah. at first didn't think it was like period issues so i'm like yeah. this feels like it's gonna build to something where it's like oh she's got like stomach cancer or something that she, she's poor, yeah. can't get it yeah, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. well listen that woman never fucks that that's one thing she's never she's no. never gonna fuck she's in 17 her just for the record but yes She's 17. This guy's talking about taking a girl to Big Mama's house, too, to play some fucking... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> color. Like, come on. All right, all right. Let's... Now, Michael People took fuck. us way off the rails by taking <laughs> this movie seriously. I mean, come on, man. This movie's... A... No, I... For me, at least personally, I, 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 think, I think this just boils down to, like, one major thing, which is I just had a hard time hooking in. I just hard. I I don't disagree with anything you say. I I appreciate how um I pre- I appreciate how you engage with this film. Just I just had a hard time looking at it. And a lot of it is it's almost Dogma ninety five in this way. There's no score throughout the entire film. Yep. Uh, it's all handheld. It's very shaky. It's essentially four characters in the entire movie. It's very bleak. Um, and it's it's hard it's hard for me as a you know as a uh, like a Disney boy or whatever I am to uh, engage with engage with a engage, engage with a engage, oh boy Rosetta's mom sucking another dick off. engage with a um, that's a, the full a, you know, a, a ninety a ninety five minute uh, Belgian Belgian film. Uh, essentially about how hard I mean, how hard it is to get a job when you're poor and it's also and I know this is like a really lame way to put it but like nothing about this is novel like everything you 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 just said to me you know we've talked about these themes and these ideas uh I don't want to say ad nauseum but ad nauseum because those are some of the central themes of of uh of narrative narrative entertainment of of narrative 
period, full stop. So if it works for you, that's great. It did not work for me. It just is not something it's not something that I was able to kind of, you know, get up inside of. Uh, like Mike at Big Mama's. Like I, I, I like I'm joking Christ. around, and I'm make, I'm. <laughs> listen, Mike just likes watching movies about women that are possessed by the dick demon. It's fine. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm joking around, and on all the shit, I did really like this movie. I found in yeah, you gave it a, you gave it four and a half stars, bro. But I thought thing, you I, loved it. Like, I've kind of come to really appreciate these neorealist like. Fair, like almost where nothing happens kind of movies you know i i said i have halloween halloween ends on right now so i'm a big david gordon green fan I don't don't, don't give away too much I, i'm not gonna say shit because mike hasn't seen it either and i want him to be as free as as possible i've only i've only george had washington one thing spoiled to me so i think george washington is great i think all the real girls oh i love great. george washington. I, but, I mean i i think he's yeah i'm 100 i like, love early like, david gordon green it's it's I don't know. I mean, there are a lot. There are there are a lot of barriers uh, for this movie but, for me in particular, and I but just wasn't what, able to knock them down. But that's what. But what I'm trying to say is like you know I've come to like those kind of movies and Cassavetti stuff, which is this is definitely working within the Cassavetti's realm and everything. But it's like I think that like the big difference between like a this and a George Washington, in my opinion, or the Cassavetti stuff, is the thing we're kind of saying. It's kind of just hitting the same beat the entire movie and there's no real they're not really changing the notes at all there's no re- it's it's kind of like listening to what's the fucking asshole song the beatles did nine nine that annoying song it's like no, they're not num- playing, num- hey, yeah, yeah, number, number nine yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. number nine it doesn't hate you they're playing hey nine uh revolution nine which is just like fuck okay like i get it jesus christ i get it it's well, like you, we know what you're doing, but all right, relax. I mean, I, there's there's a couple things I I would like to to just hit because um, there are some things that I did quite like about this film, and I'm you know my rating is is pretty high, all things considered. But um, I I did really like when Rosetta goes to live with uh, Riquet, uh, and they're sort of like him doing gymnastics for her, and her chugging that beer, and like that awkward dance scene as he plays sort of music that's un you can't really dance to like there mm-hmm. that was a real like i enjoyed that because it felt like it kind of broke out of as you were saying sort of the monotony of of her life um the the heartbreaking scene of her talking to herself before she goes to bed where she says your name is rosetta my name is rosetta you found a job i found a job you've got a friend i've got a friend you have a normal life you will not be left wayside good night good night it's a it is a brutal, amazing, wonderful scene. And like that to me encapsulates the whole film. There's just a real sort of like lovely nuance to it. It kind of lets you sit in a moment rather than like shaking the fucking camera while she like, you know, runs away from Riquet or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, the scene of her when she's fired by her boss because he hires his deadbeat son basically. And she's screaming about how she wants a normal life and clutching a bag of flour on the ground. Like it's just, yeah. it there's, there is a lot of good shit. Surprisingly for me, the middle of this movie works the best. Cause like the beginning, I was just sort of like, Oh, so this is just terrible. And then the, at least there's some, some variations of what's going on in the middle, just like things kind of get weird, which I kind of appreciate. And then I just personally speaking, like 
it 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 feels honestly like foreign film mad libs at times where it's like at the end when like she's gonna kill herself and her mother it's just like it 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 just it it really just felt like too much for me so it it kind of tips but that i really appreciated the very last scene so i mean well i mean uh, to touch on a couple things i mean one of the things that i really do appreciate about the jordan brothers and a lot of their work is we keep saying neorealist right and i think that well, I mean, no other Tom mentioned neorealism. I'm, I'm, kidding. Kidding. I'm kidding. I think that I think that when it comes to the neorealist movement, I mean, that's it's a much broader term than, than a lot of people want to recognize. Like our idea of neorealist now. And when we talk about neorealist movies and when people try and make a neorealist movie, most times they're emulating the early Italian neorealists, you know, Vittorio De Sica and, um, you know, and, and people that uh, Roberto Rossellini. Right. Bicycle thieves, Rome, open city, all of that. Right. Tom and I have gone back and forth on Bicycle Thieves probably since college. Um, you know, who like, you know, he's, he's a bigger fan of that film than I am. When you look at the neorealist movement, Fellini comes. I love sad guineas. What can I say? <laughs> uh, Fellini comes along. And um, if anybody knows, there's a writer named Peter Bonadella who wrote a book on the history of Italian cinema. And he implied that what Fellini does when Fellini comes into the film scene, because neorealism was, was just the only thing you could really do in Italy at the time. And when Fellini comes in, he starts to treat neorealism as, as Bonadella puts it, he says it's more of a moral position than a cinematic movement. And by that, I mean, when you look at Fellini's films, especially when you get from Ivy Deloney onward, and especially Knights of Cabiria, which this film borrows a lot from, um, Knights of Cabiria is not neorealist in the traditional stru- structural sense. Kenny evoked the dogma movement before and like their rigid rules. Knights of Kiberia is certainly not that. The fourth wall is broken at points in Knights of Kiberia. There's that incredible shot when she's standing under the street lamp and it's very artificially like only lighting her. There's a lot of symbolism in that. I think one of the things that I really like about the Dardan brothers is that so many people who make neorealist films are basically just treating it as nothing in this movie can feel structured. There can be no symbolism. There can be nothing. We are just going to shoot it as it would really happen. It's easy to watch Rosetta, I think, the first time and see it that way and mm-hmm. to just see it as like we're just pointing and shooting. But the Dardans are very deliberate about what they show and also what they don't show. I mean, that's a quote when uh, their previous film, which is uh, uh, follows a young boy uh, played by Jeremy Renier. That's his real name is Jeremy Renner, but with a French accent. Uh, <laughs> he's a young boy whose father... Uh, who is played, who shows up in this film. The guy who owns the waffle stand in this, Olivier Gourmet, has worked with the Dardans like four times. In Le Promise, he plays a guy, uh, Jeremy Renier's father, who exploits immigrant labor. And Jeremy Renier kind of discovers these people's humanity and pushes back against his dad. He appears again as the boss. But I, I say, let's say, you know, when they were working on that and they asked Jean-Pierre what their approach is, he said it was really a matter of figuring out to know what you're going um, in order to film what you want to show of a face or a body. You have to first decide what you want to hide. There is a deliberateness to what they show and to bring it to what Phil was saying about the bed scene, which is a great, you know, probably the best scene of the film when she's sitting in the bed for the rest of this movie. Phil's right. The camera's shaking. We're following her around. There's momentum. Rosetta is always moving. She's always, 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 always moving. And at the same time, Rosetta never takes the moment to actually consider her own doubt, to consider herself or have any perspective. The only time you see her go through that moment of giving herself affirmations, that moment of doubt, what is she doing? 
she is literally up against a wall. That's not something that you do if you are entirely about just absolute realism. Like there is a structured and staging kind of thing to this the same way that. Oh, so, yeah, I don't mean to suggest that there isn't a tremendous amount of intent in this film. Uh, I mean, there obviously is. I think that this film is 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 filled with emotion and intellectualism and any number of things. I'm just with Kenny to a certain degree, which is that it's a bit of a struggle to lock into this character. They, they are they are. You know, this is something that, you know, Kenny and I have sort of talked about this a little bit because we've, we've covered a handful of foreign films um, between the, the three podcasts. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, unfortunately, in this country, look at foreign films as homework. They feel challenging. Um, you have to, quote unquote, read them. There's just a lot there. Now, I think that this country has gotten a lot better recently, which I think is great. I think that, you know, uh, obviously looking at the success of Parasite, looking at sort of what Neon is doing in general, and a lot of these companies are really sort of finding really interesting foreign films. But this film is is determined to keep you at arm's length. It's determined to keep you sort of uh, at odds with Rosetta's character. And, and that, that makes for a challenging experience. That's not to say it's a bad movie. I just, it's not, certainly not a movie that I would watch again. I understand why there are people that love this film, genuinely. Um, and I certainly didn't hate it by any means. And I don't think that, I don't think Kenny or, or, or Tom hated it either. I just think that, um, I think it's perhaps deceptively simple to some degree. Plot wise, not a lot happens. Um, you know, the biggest re- revelation in the film is when she, essentially fucks over Riquet and, 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 you know, confesses to, uh, to her boss that he's essentially ripping him off. Um, I, I want to ask a question to, to, to everybody, obviously, but the end of this film is ambiguous. Obviously this movie just kind of holds on a moment. Rosetta cries, perhaps like actually visibly sobs for the first time in the film um, as she's, lugging this gas of this can of gasoline back to the house to 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 potentially you know uh, commit suicide with her mother um and and Rake is sort of circling her on his moped and we have this moment where perhaps for the first time she really looks him in the eye and they sort of have this real perhaps connection then we smash to black uh was this ending hopeful for you guys was this ending tragic for you guys how did you feel? What was your takeaway from the ending of the film, considering how sort of ambiguous it is? Kenny, you fellas go first. I'll. I'll... <laughs> um, was the ending hopeful or tragic? Uh, I don't think you can leave. Doesn't need to be mo- one of those options. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you can leave this movie feeling hopeful. Um, yeah. I think this. I, I think this very much is uh, is just pointing towards a you know a cycle of misery. Sure. Occasionally punctuated by moments of non misery, so no, I I I, I didn't take any hope away from this. Is, okay. is my answer. Uh, I I didn't take any hope away from it either. Um, I wouldn't even say it's tragic either because she's so fucking unlikable. I'm like I'm truly jumping for joy that the rest of her life is going to be filled with misery. Yeah, um, <laughs> she's a fucking it. Honestly, the scene where she throws Riquet under the bus, I'm like, oh wow. Like, if this was like a more main, like I thought he was gonna like kill her at the end, I, like, and I would have been like, what about right, when I she doesn't? What about when she hesitates to save him when he falls yeah, into but, the? 
right. Yes. She's she's a psych. She's a psychopath. Okay. I was I was more annoyed when she wouldn't get paid under the table. Yeah, I'm like if, standards. Yeah. Come the fuck on. If she, if, if, she was a, if, if she was a white guy, the end of the movie would be her shooting up a cafe. That's wow. a, that's how much of a psychopath she is. I I didn't tell Mike what I was going to say, but my my opinion of her is if she was an American woman, she'd be a MAGA person. She's got so much self-loathing for herself and for poor people, but she's like, That's I'm true. not like these poor people. I work hard. Look at my mom just sucking dick and drinking all day and doing drugs. She, all these poor people, they don't get it. I'll throw people under the bus. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not like everybody else. I'm going to be successful. I'm a, I, I don't care who I got to throw under the bus or let drown for some reason. Um, she would 100% vote for Trump and also probably have some uh, similarities and views with Kanye. I'll just put it at that. Oh, they all do. Mike? So, um, <laughs> hopeful. Rosetta, Rosetta is, well, I don't know if it's hopeful, but the, I, I the feel end of the film. Rosetta is very, the whole film, but I'm saying is, is, is very indebted to Fellini's Knights of Kiberia. I think there's one scene that's a direct parallel. If anybody, uh, has seen Knights of Kiberia, um, yeah. And what happens in Knights of Kiberia when we first see her, she's knocked into the, she trusted and loved a man. She was relying on this band. He takes her money. He shoves her in the water, right? Correct. In Rosetta, Rosetta is also knocked in the water and abandoned, but not by a man, by her mother, right? Correct. That, And so much of this has that Knights of Kiberia energy. And of course, the ending of Knights of Kiberia Famous. is her crying. She's feeling depressed. And then in Knights of Kiberia, the actual Knights of Kiberia, it's, it's church people singing a, a religious song. And obviously, if you watch Sweet Charity, it's a group of hippies that give her a flower and all of that. And in or this, the end of Magnolia. Yes. And in this, it's Riquet. And I think that I, to me, it's more the fact that she's been on this journey, this whole film. And you're right. You mentioned like she doesn't try. You know, she hesitates to save him. Why? Because what she's been conditioned by her mother and by Sadie, nobody tried to save her when she went into the river either. Right. And there's a recognition right. of. Right. I think her relationship with Riquet is that he'll try and save her. But when he does, she sees that as number one, an act of weakness from him. And number two, accepting help from him means owing somebody something or, or being indebted. I think at the end, there's something powerful about the parallel between when he first comes to her on his motorcycle, his worrying, you know, kind of. Uh, this this almost like a, being chased by a bee kind of sound worrying motorcycle when he first comes to her and he's telling her to you know get a job whenever he's pinning her to the ground the first time was you know she's getting pinned to the ground uh-huh. this time while that's not happening physically there is an emotional moment of like for the first so, time you know there's an intervention do you, do you, you see this stop. ending as hopeful well, I'm trash. getting there I'm getting there okay I'm sorry I'm not talking about her shooting up a cafe but I'm getting to a point I, here okay. gang I'm oh, saying listen, it was a good okay. listen, that, it was a good point I think that in that moment it's not a matter I, I can't put it as hopeful or, or depressing because it's not a matter of like that she is going to have a better life right or that she's going to have a terrible life okay that moment to me is not about her future that is not about where she's going this is one of those movies where quite frankly rosetta ceases to exist as soon as the credits roll but in that moment it is a moment of surrender okay. it is a moment of like that. of this whole movie she's fighting even when he's he's physically pinning her down at one point she's fighting against a river she's fighting against everything and in that moment it is just like how in a way knights of kiberia is this character finally just kind of accepting her place in the parade, 
Sure. But there's a parade coming and she walks with it. There's no yeah. parade in here, but in that final moment or like 400 blows or anything like that, like that final moment of just the character hits that revelation and surrenders. So I don't think it's I hopeful. Like I don't think it's ending. It's just a moment of finally, after fighting for 90 minutes, fighting against the world, she either accepts help or accepts life. It's just a moment of acceptance. I like that. Let's rate this film because perhaps most importantly, you two gentlemen are going to do your top 10 list of 1999. And we're very excited. I am very excited to hear what you guys uh, literally can't wait. So I didn't see this film in 99 as, as we've, we've all sort of said uh, coming into this podcast, I was at an 85. I was pretty high. Um, but I have to say that, that this based is on what? Based on on genuinely, I thought that I think she's a really interesting character. I do think that Rosetta is a complicated, messy, fucked up, challenging character. And that's really interesting to me. I hate the fucking cinematography, but um, and I've come down. I mean, I'm at I'm at a 77. Um, I, I think that it's I, I, you know, part of my issues with this film have less to do with what it's saying and more to do with just how unfortunately unpleasant it is. And I do have to grapple with the idea. And as we've been doing this podcast of the idea of uh, a movie being an enjoyable experience or not, and whether or not that's indicative of it being good or bad. And I think that this film might not have been an enjoyable experience by, you know, any stretch of the imagination, but I still think that it's, I still think it's a great film. Um, I still think it's doing a lot of really interesting things, um, even if it's a film that I don't ever want to watch again. Um, so, you know, it's I, that's just you know, obviously personal choice. But um, all right, Tom, what about you? Uh, didn't see it in 99. Wasn't at the top of my list as a nine-year-old. Um, <laughs> yeah, I came into this podcast. I probably, I say 85, which, you know, I rounded up to a four and a half on Letterboxd as uh they hinted at earlier in the episode um Indeed. i'm at the same you know um and it wasn't my goal it wasn't my goal to make any of you and make phil or kenny like this movie any less but i'm kind of happy that i made I, I helped make phil like this movie just a little bit less that's a little little point of pride you're, in my mind you're, if you're, I still can, at, my, you're still in an 85 yeah because mike's the only mike's the only one that could make a case for me for saying it's better and i never listened to this fucking guy about anything so i'm i'm at right. 85 i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a rating that actually reflects the way i talked about this film on the podcast as opposed to you two who I, are giving it rating on this movie i listen, i like i like the movie i like the sense of place like michael I, do, you I think, like, do, you, do you think they talked about this movie like they liked this movie i think i here's here's what i uh, i think i think phil talked about it relatively positively but it was also trying to keep the show going keep a discussion going and okay. tom did that thing that tom does which is he can like 95 percent of a movie but if there's a five percent of it that really sticks in his craw he's going to keep coming back to that five percent the same way on our gone with the wind episode for two and a half hours he kept going and back to this one scene like it just so so i did that. i get the okay time. Well, yes. i'll leave that to the li- I'll, I'll leave this to the uh, listener but like I I, I I i i like the sense of place and the sense of the the environment i and and i joke around, i do think she is an interesting character i'm used to and i like watching movies about horrible people i don't need a movie to be someone that holds my hand and makes me feel good about myself a likable person you know i'm not like kenny a disney boy mm-hmm. i 
I Disney like boy. listen. I I like Sam Peckinpah movies. I like watching movies with you know terrible fucking people uh, getting their comeuppance, or even or even like just this. She's 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 kind of a piece of shit, but I've I like I get why she's a piece of shit. <laughs> and um, while I think it's not a perfect movie by any stretch, I've made my jokes, but I do think like we, me and Phil were saying, I do think it hits one note way too often and if there was more variances in the the realistic narrative it's laying out like that middle section like the scene with her going to bed and everything like her having like that little date sort of thing with Rakay, i think the movie could, would have greatly benefited and i think that ending where Rakay comes and she looks and maybe she doesn't kill herself or maybe she does either way she has her moment of self-actualization i think the movie would have been even better in my opinion but i do really like in the in the 90s I, all right i get it but 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 i i so like that's why i say it's an 85 i i like these kind of movies i think this movie is a good example of that kind of movie but i do think they're young filmmakers and i think they've made some issues that young filmmakers working in this world kind of make which is why i think you know good time and uncut gems are better than the the safties earlier movies they learned and they got better and they know what they're doing now so i you know i don't know all right all right kenny let's i i uh i'm not happy that i that i didn't like a palm viewer winner i'm not happy that i don't like david sims's fourth best movie of the year i'm not happy that i feel like an uncultured boob but like guys this is not an enjoyable film and the only person on this podcast who made the case for it is Mike. So I, I don't know what universe I'm living in. You can shake your head, but we can listen back to the podcast. Nothing but negatives the entire time. Eddie, okay. I literally, I took four specific instances in my notes that I talked about scenes that I liked. I specifically cool. talked about like all sorts of things that I liked. About there the weren't film. just four scenes in the movie. Okay. In 85? Okay. Kenny. Uh, well, I, whatever, listen, man. Some, 77 listen, is where I'm at right I'm, now. This is, this is the guys, beauty of Sims, Guys, bro. this is my a moment. This is my moment. I didn't talk during your moments. My moment. I gave it a 57 before the podcast almost entirely because I didn't want to go below 50 for a movie that I respect. I am going below 50 now because I don't enjoy this film. If you're watching a film and you're incredibly bored and you can't lock in and you don't, you you have to read the fucking Wikipedia summary to understand what's happening in the film, which by the way, I have a feeling other people on this podcast did because there are things that are only in the Wikipedia summary that aren't in the film. Okay. I'm giving it a fucking 40. I'm sorry. This is not this is not a movie for me. And I'm gonna be fucking real here. It's just not for me. Kenny is giving it a 40. That doesn't mean it's a 40 in the world. It means I'm giving it a 40. Okay. Did my favorite Martian beat this? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, look, I'll look it up while you Kenny, give there it your 98. Definitely okay. movies okay. That, you, okay. that you hate a lot more than this that you gave I just, ratings. Um, I, hang on. What I just, are you talking just, about? I've never for, given a movie. I, I've never given a movie I hate above a four uh, ever. For, for Kenny's whole thing, we're, we're talking about the negatives. This is the beauty of cinema, right? A, a movie can be greater than the sum of its parts. All right, we were we were taking the piss out of it. For me personally, it was kind of just to get some reactions out of Mike. That's kind of what my whole thing. I love guys, making Mike pull out a flask and drink. Tom, you Tom guys, doesn't you, get to be you, mean about movies on our show. So, but he's on. You guys else can say you guys can say whatever you want about whatever movie you want. This is an opinion based podcast. I don't mind if you want to talk for you know ninety minutes about all the negatives of a movie you loved. When I love a movie, I talk about the positives like Mike Natale did. Right, but, but I didn't know, love the movie. 
I didn't love the 80, movie. Mike's going to give 85 the, is good. I guess we disagree. That's a B plus. Your, your 85 is a B plus. So it's a little different. You only go down to 60. But yeah, I know. I, I know. Like school. I grade like I'm in school. I know. That's it's a little also, different. All right. Let's let's move on so, to your top 10. List. No, no. Mike's, oh, sorry, Mike's, Mike. Mike. You got to go. Sorry, Mike. Sorry, Mike. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Somebody Mike's has to give this. The only positivity yeah. into this episode. So when I saw it. The yes, first... that's right. The only positivity. I so when I, when I saw it the first time. Positive, when I saw it the first time, I'd only seen two days one night uh, prior to this. And I think I gave it about an 80. Uh, I think part of it was, as I've watched more of their films, especially L'Enfant, but Le Pomisse, which is the film they make before this, uh, I came to realize, I came to kind of figure out what's going on in their language and that there's more to them than just the realism and all of that. So since then, watching it again in prep for this podcast, sure. much like Phil and Tom, I was at an 85. Um, and uh, I spent the past 90 minutes, like Rosetta spends her 90 minutes, struggling against a system contrived to push back <laughs> and to valiantly try and achieve my goal when every step of the way somebody's going, hang on, let's talk about waffles. So, so, <laughs> Dude, after there's this, there's a lot of fucking waffles in this movie. It deserves and to be much, talked about. And much like Rosetta, somebody behind Mike is sucking a dick. Uh, no, much like Rosetta, <laughs> by the end of this, I really thought about getting a can of gas and just, uh, <laughs> any, which by the way, I didn't even get to talk about what a good cough gas joke that is, but we're, we're oh, whatever. Lord. Point is, after this podcast, fuck you guys. I'm giving it a 90. Me and David Sim can go party at the Transit Museum while the rest of you guys That's so sit weird. back and fuck, watch my fuck favorite you, Fuck you guys. These guys love this movie. It's just fuck, fuck me, right? Fuck the only guy who actually dislikes this film. Not these guys who love this movie. Such offense to this guy. I'm not taking take, offense. It's, it's, it? I'm not taking offense. I just, I, I don't like being gaslit. I'm, so, I, so, no Mike, no so Mike and I, you. Mike and I live in the in this world where Mike did have to battle against the three of us all episode, and then I turned around and you two were both giving it fucking eighty fives. It's hilarious. I don't. I love the I'm making. I'm not. I'm not offended. I'm not offended. I'm making fun of you. There's a big difference. No, you're taking right, it personally. I don't give a shit. We're talking about a Palme d'Or winner. If you can't talk about the things that aren't perfect about the movie and then at the end say, well, yeah, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. We talked about the good things. And yeah, it's it great. It's great. Like that's great. That's great. Suck the movie's dick the entire time for you, Kenny. I gave my favorite Martian a 41, Michael. Let's go. Let's all right, all right. But also, wait. Before. OK, before we get. To- I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> Disney boy. Disney boy. Before we get to the 99 top oh, 10, so I don't know. Mike can't hear me right now. Um, I know I did. Mike, before we get to the 99 top 10, do you want to do, because I did it. Did you make your top 10 Palm Door winners? Oh my, you did? I I've did. got, yeah, I've got a running ranking time. If you give me a sec, I can look it up. I don't oh know my. if their audience will care, but. All right, so guys, I got, I got, I got 15 minutes on this. Then I got, uh, let's do your top 10s, guys. Okay, come on. Okay. All right. So All let's right. go back and forth. We'll start at ten. We'll work our way. I like that. I like that. Tom is lighting a cigarette. This is amazing. Uh, Mike, do you want to go first? What's your ten? So my list is structured a little differently. Um, I didn't know. I mean, like only insofar as I really wanted to be conscious of. I don't know if it's necessarily like the objective top ten movies, but I tried to think about this show and what it meant. And also try and represent some things that maybe weren't covered on this show and, and so on and so forth. And number 10 is kind of emblematic of that because I think if I was just like doing raw scores based on numbers or anything, this wouldn't be my number 10. 
but it felt appropriate to put it at the bottom of this list for this. My number 10 is The Talented Mr. Ripley because it is a movie and the first movie I've been listening to the show since the beginning. It is the first movie that you guys covered that I watched because of this podcast and I fell in love with. And it is one of my favorite films now. I don't know if it necessarily beats out some of the big names from 99 that didn't make my top 10, but just from a cyclical standpoint, it made a lot of sense to kind of cap all this off by talking about a movie that you guys made me watch because well, of Phil, Phil, by, Phil, by the way, I don't know. Do you have any idea what your talented Mr. Ripley rating was? It's not very high. But do you know what it was? I, I think it's in the 70s. It's a 78. Yeah. That's crazy. It's one of my it's one of my my darkest moments that I thought I was too low. You 78. This is the problem, which that, is that it was the third movie we did. That's that's like did, so that's like Rosetta my, territory. Uh, it's it's higher than it's it's one point higher than Rosetta. <laughs> <It is>. um, <laughs> but I, I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I've said this. We were talking about it yesterday that like there's a couple early movies that I want to rewatch. I've obviously been very vocal about my love of Ripley and it'll be much higher. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm shocked. I mean, my, uh, what's your 10, Tom? Uh, my 10 is... Um, I was Kenny an 81. Movie. It's Sorry, a Kenny movie. Any Given Sunday. My man! <laughs> love love Any Given Sunday. It is, in my opinion, the best football movie because it's the only one that kind of just goes to show what a degenerate, disgusting fucking business it is. And it's only aged even better what yeah. two three weeks after two a title of oh i can't pronounce his fucking name i'm sorry but after two his brain leaked out of his fucking ears on on national tv um yeah uh it's it's yeah. an amazing movie it's oliver stone's last great movie before the lsd finally destroyed his brain um it is his last great and, movie. and it's and it's it's, it's for, for as long as it is it's wildly entertaining and it flies by i think it's 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 Kind of a masterpiece, I think. So, yeah, any given Sunday is my number ten. You're not, uh, you're not the first person to put it on their tens, which true at number ten, I think. Even I don't know. And 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 that Al Pacino speech at the end, you know, that gets played a lot in my life of just before anything or when I we play softball or whatever. It's just we got to give that Al Pacino speech. So, you know, any given Sunday has hell of a hell of a life to it. What's your nine, Mike? So my number nine never got covered on this show. Uh, this is about a 60-40 split of 99 movies. I wanted to get some love on this podcast that didn't get seen. Um, but it did compete for the Palme d'Or opposite Rosetta. My number nine is a movie called Moloch by the Russian director Alexander Sukarov. If people know Sukarov, they probably know his movie Russian Ark that was very popular for being a one-take film. Uh, Moloch takes place at uh, at a Bavarian castle owned by Adolf Hitler. It's Hitler and Ava and Goebbels and his wife. And Sukarov's whole idea was to show kind of the banality of evil over this film by basically showing Hitler and his cohorts and his wife going, let's have a weekend where we don't talk politics. Sounds and fucking great. I wish it's worth checking it. out. It's 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 a hell of a picture. It's and I just bad. wanted to give it a bit of love. Wow. Um, what's what's your uh, nine, Tom? A stone cold fucking masterpiece. It's one of a kind. Nothing else like it. I love it so much. I'm the guy wearing the horror movie shirt and I'm covered in horror movie tattoos. It's audition. Fucking love audition. I mean, I mean, God, I want to like I want to find anybody I know that hasn't seen it or date somebody that's never seen it. Just be like, let's just watch audition. Tell them nothing about it and just have them experience it blind because that that shift is like. 
it's the best one of the best shifts maybe the best shift from going from what you think the movie is to oh fuck this is not what i thought this fucking movie was of all time and i gotta say when she cuts his foot off and throws it at the door and it just goes thump. <laughs> it's one of the funniest, blackest comedy moments of all time. Such it's a fucking amazing. good movie. We actually, Kenny and I are working with two writers who had not seen Audition, so we were raving about that the other day, so hopefully they're Oh my god. They'll yeah, watch dude. it. Mike, They'll love it. What's your eight? My number eight uh, is, of course, one that everybody remembers this fabulous episode about it. I'm kidding. Uh, Le Petit Vendu du Soleil, or The Little Girl Who Sold the Sun. It's by uh, Jabril Diop Mabedi, uh, a Senegalese filmmaker. Uh, most people probably know him from uh, his film Tukibuki in 1973. Uh, Mabedi actually died in 1998. This was the last film he ever got to make. It's about 45 minutes long. Uh, it's about a young, uh, handicapped girl in Senegal, who's trying to make money uh, and becomes the first girl in that town who is allowed to sell newspapers. It's beautiful, it's evocative, and it shows his his love for his people and his community. Some incredible scenes in that. Uh, if folks have canopy, they can watch it there. But uh, Mabedi's like, final legacy as one of the great African filmmakers, despite not getting to make that many films in his lifetime, came out in 99, so I wanted to give a little love to... Wow, Mike. Mabedi. Tom, what's your eight? My eight. Surprising coming from me that an animated movie is on the list, but it's the Iron Giant. I I I love that fucking movie. It's perfect movie. It's uh uh you know, I'm Superman, you know, I mean tears. Does it get you? Does tears every it, time? It oh tears. Every time he sacrifices himself at the end and he just goes Superman and oh my god. And did you did you watch it as a younger man? Uh, not in 99, but once Cartoon Network started playing it all the fucking time, that was, <laughs> I it, I watched it all the time. Me and my younger brother, we, we shared a room and we watched it all the goddamn time. And gotta give credit to um, uh, Christopher McDonald is the actor who plays mm-hmm. Kent Mansley. Goose McKenzie, yeah. His his his, his, his <laughs> David Sims jokes about it all the time, but when he gets in the car and he goes, oh my god! It's one of the funniest fucking, it's, uh, it's Maybe it's it's honestly it's Brad Bird's masterpiece. You know, I I hate to say like the first movie is the, is a guy's best movie, but it's I think it's his it's it's absolute masterpiece. I love. I mean, it I so think much. that you know for for people who've listened to our episode, I think that Kenny and I both having had not seen it, or I I was you had not seen it, right? I think it just got built up too much for me, and I and it's it's been put. It was by so many people, and not just but like it's just I, this yeah. this yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I was expecting something. Yeah, different. I don't know how else to put it. I, I, I think I don't know. I think I'm too old and jaded. Uh, I only lo- really <laughs> like I only really like one Brad Bird movie. So I thought you were say I only really like one movie. That would have actually. I only really crazy. like one movie. I only really like one Brad. <laughs> Which one do you think it is? The Incredibles. Not even like that. Ratatouille. Ratatouille. Yeah, I think Brad I Bird. Love Ratatouille. I think Incredibles is bad. Um, and I don't I genuinely. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't like intellectually understand why people are into it. Um. I don't, it's one of those things, and this happens with a lot of Brad Bird movies, where I don't understand how the people who like it can like it despite its obvious fucking Randian politics. I don't get it. I just, I don't understand how you can ignore it, and then how all these people who we love can write articles pretending that they, that it doesn't exist. Sorry. Ratatouille, on the other hand, love it. Brilliant, beautiful, fantastic. Mike, what's your, uh, what's your seven? 
I know I've been kind of annoying you guys with some of these like off. So keep it up. Not annoying me. I love it. So number seven is the Dark Tower by Stan Brackage. That's right, Stan Brackage, who most people probably know from his non-narrative works from the '60s and '70s, like Dog Star Man and Mothlight. Well, he was still making films all the way to his death in 2004. The Dark Tower is a three-minute-long paint on celluloid film that depicts a single black line in the most color being a parody. I'm <laughs> Can I be real with you? Can I be honest? Look, I, I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. When I did, because when I was trying to figure out this top 10, I went on my letterbox and I just decided like 99 sort by five star films. And when I saw like, right, Dark Towers in there, like, fuck it. I'll put Dark Tower in there. Right. Like, I'll do Dude, it. Because honestly, it, it's more of uh, this, like, is, this is your list. You do what yeah, you want to do. You want it. You want to like, you want to put you want to put a three minute paint on celluloid. Here's the thing uh, about it. on a list of features, like, uh, you know, that is, nobody that is, real. Hang is on. explicitly is on a nobody. podcast where movies had to be in the movie theater. Go ahead. You, you, nobody. You. Number one, nobody said it had to be features. I got no, no message. Right. It had to be you're features. Right. Just, you Number know, that, two, that, 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 that is that assumption that most people have made. But it's only no, no, it's, podcast, that, yeah. no, no, it didn't have to be. It certainly didn't have to be part of the podcast. Hey, listen, uh, it certainly didn't have to be fucking features. Yeah, you do what you want to do. Do you guys cover heat vision? Listen, you guys covered Heat Vision and Jack, so I'm just we saying as a feature. You open the door. No, I'm okay, but on a serious <laughs> note, like the fact is, I will tell folks if you check it out, I'll post it on Twitter, or whatever. There is Brackage's films work because they are so evocative. They are images, and quite frankly, to make it all cyclical, on the very first episode I appeared on this show, we were talking about Pikachu's adventure, and Kenny said, and and Phil dismissed it by saying it was just a lot of lights and colors on a screen. And Kenny said, listen, Phil, I've seen movies that are just like experimental film lights and colors, and those can be some of the best films. So fuck it. I put a film that's just lights and colors on the list because like Kenny says, those can sometimes be some of the best. I, no, no, Stand no. Brackets, I, the dark I don't. I, I really want my I really want to be to make this very clear. You do you, man. Yeah, I, I, I'm yeah. totally down <laughs> with it. Totally down with it. I think you're a total nut job, but that's me that's doing the, me. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tom, what's your seven? We gotta we gotta keep moving. My is number it, seven is it seventy-five minutes or longer. It it is it is a feature length <laughs> movie that was released in movie theaters for normal human beings to have <laughs> uh it is the straight story. Great movie. Um it is a beautiful, lovely, not at all what you would expect from David Lynch movie. It's uh you know, Mike knows this about me. I got a thing about movies about brothers and and all this stuff. And um, it's definitely a movie that when I watch it again is going to hit even harder um, because my older brother, who I wish at some point in my life, we'd be able to have that moment of being able to reconcile the way they do. My brother died last month and oh, Tom, I'm never going to have man. that. I'm, so sorry. Uh, I'm never going to. Thank you. Um, I'm never going to have that moment with him. Um, so I feel like movies like this are going to play even harder for me now. Sure, sure. Um, but I think it's a beautiful, well-observed movie. I think it's, it might be my second favorite Lynch movie. Um, cause I'm a psychopath wild at heart's my favorite David Lynch movie. Um, movie. I love it. Uh, but straight story is beautiful. Um, I really do wish it would get like a nice Blu-ray release in America at some point. Cause I think yeah, people it's, need to, it's, you it's, can, import, but it's, yeah. I wish it's it is streaming in in 4K on on Disney Plus where all of David yeah. Lynch's films are obviously streaming, um, but uh, it, it's it, you know it was an early one for us, Kenny. I feel like we did that pretty early in the run. First year, I think. Yeah, man, because and, it, and 
it, yeah, it's one it's you know it's lynch it's one of the finest directors who's met several women in his life and <laughs> two uh <laughs> and 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 two it is one of those you know kind of wild 99 anomalies that is that that part it's part of what made this year so exciting was you know lynch's lynch's g-rated movie you never get that in any other year ever so that's yep. it's 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 a really special movie um mike Six. Number six. Okay. So Is this one, movie? I'm going to recommend folks uh, seek it out. Uh, it's not the easiest to find. It's not the most well-known. Um, I'm sorry I've created a precedent here, but uh, it's called The Mummy by director Steven Summers. Um, yeah. You guys are not the biggest fans of it on uh, I, I like episode, it. But I, I, doesn't like it. 41, I, that, I looked it up. I think that the mummy was one of those movies that I mean, I saw it when it came out. I was I was addicted to it as a little kid. Sure. Every time I go back to it, there is something about it that I just find so compelling because unlike so many of the 99 movies that are either movies that you guys covered on the show that are either like movies that feel so much like shit that would have been made in the 90s or feel so much like they're way ahead of the times. The mummy is this weird anomaly that happened once and never again. That was just like, hey, we just made a movie that follows like every structural rule of like classic, like 1940s, 1950s action adventure filmmaking. Sure. We figured out how to do it once. It plays to everyone. It, it works like a fucking charm. And then I, it's, it, it is that like Raiders of the Lost Ark level thing of you just like look at it and go, oh, this just emerged like fully formed. Like, here's a fun time. And I, I think there's something so I, incredible. I just want to say to our listeners, you know, that that Mike Natale went from the Black Tower to the Dark Mummy Bar. in one whatever um, <laughs> uh, in one move. So don't say that he doesn't contain multitudes. Uh, Tom, what is your next movie? My next movie is the um, is a feature from a director I have a very complicated relationship with. Mm. Um, it is his last movie. It is Eyes Wide Shut. Mm. Uh, I don't love Kubrick. Mm. Um, I especially don't like Kubrick after 2001. I don't like 2001. I don't like Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I kind of enjoy The Shining. I think it's my, wildly overrated. I, I like Full Metal Jacket. Again, kind of wildly overrated. But Eyes Wide Shut is, I think, a stone cold, just fucking weird ass masterpiece. And uh, it's just. I don't know. It just it just gets its hooks into me, and I love its weird little journey into the depths of hell of a guy who just wants to just, get laid. Well, well, he wants to get laid, but he's just so cucked by his wife's dreams that <laughs> he he's he's willing to like visit a prostitute. He's willing, he, like he almost gets sold a child bride. He he ends up. <laughs> in a, he, he he ends up at a fucking sex party at a mansion in Long Island, and and he's just like he he thinks he's this cock of the walk, but every time people are throwing themselves at him, he's just like, yeah, I I I I'm, I can't do it. I can't. I've do never it. heard I, it described as a man driven insane, cucked by his wife's dreams, but that is the perfect way. That's what it, it is. That's, <laughs> the movie. that's what. That's what. That's what. Uh, but it's it's great. Um. Also love that it's the movie that destroyed Tom and Nicole's marriage. Love that yes. little bit of history. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing movie. Great movie. And uh, yeah, Eyes Wide Shut. What a what what a All way right, to Mike. go out. What, what do you got, Mike? 
All right. So, no, but I'm being sincere when I say this. Like, this is truly one of the most impressive films you'll ever see if you get a chance to see it. Um, it is only 10 minutes long. Um, but but I'm, I'm serious. Like, seriously. So, so it's called, if you <laughs> look it up, guys. It's just like, what is this bit? It's not a you bit. See what I have I to I just, no, no. My face is not what is this bit. My face is no, simply, face I, what's this bit? I have to get somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's, it's called Outer Space. It's by director Peter Tchaikovsky. Peter Tchaikovsky is known for doing just found footage films, and okay. I don't mean like right. pretending it's actually shot. I mean, he actually edits in Barbara Hershey from the entity, 10 minutes. It's actually a really effective horror film in just okay. 10 minutes. Look it up, folks. Fantastic. Out, outer Space? Outer Tom? Space by Peter Tchaikovsky. Tom, what do um, you got? What do you got next? Next one is Bringing Out the Dead. Martin Scorsese. Love that movie. Love when him and Schrader work together. Him and Schrader, I think, uh, make the best movies together. Wish they would make one more before Schrader, you know, dies making a movie. Um, (laughs) But I think Bringing Out the Dead is so underrated. Love that movie. I I love the energy. Love, love, love it. Love just, it's just a great movie. So Bringing Out the Dead. Mike. The Blair Witch Project. That's a movie. There we go. <laughs> Only we because two people of them saw so it. Far on this list. You know, there's some other world where it's not a movie, but good for you. Good for you. That was in theaters. It's a great movie. <laughs> that was in theaters. People saw it. Uh, I know they, this, this must be humiliating for you, Mike, to have to put a real movie on. The list. Listen, but. Kenny's got somewhere to be. I'm just going to rattle off titles now. Blair Witch <laughs> right. Project. What do you got? Tom? All right. I I watched it yesterday and it knocked Galaxy Quest off my list. Um, so oh, wow. and so it's really high. I watched the Limey. It is Limey's maybe the great. most maybe the most Tom Lorenzo movie Steven Soderbergh has ever made. It's fucking great. It's ninety minutes long. It fucking it zips. It packs a hell of a punch. And Terrence Stamp just growling at people is is fantastic. So it just rules. It rules. You know what rocks about that movie. Hmm. I mean, I love this. I really love it. And, and I might come, I might watch that one again before the end. But you know what rocks about it? Tyrant Stamp is pretty stupid in the movie. And I really love he that is. about it. Yeah. He's like, a, he's, said, like he, he's like, he's like a feral animal. It's great. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I said it yesterday. More movies need to have main characters where the main character is an idiot who makes everything worse. Yes. Did you buy the 4K uh, steelbook, uh, Tom? Or? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how I watched it. It looks, I, it looks I knew, beautiful. Because I knew it was coming. So I was like, I'm not going to watch it on fucking Amazon or whatever. I'll just wait for it. The, the transfer so there you go mike number three what is what three rec- or two three or three he put an album let's see if he put like an album <laughs> it's toy story two <laughs> whatever mike i gotta tell whatever. you whatever when you zig, you zig you zig oh, you zag, you God, zag. i just so really good movie I it's cry. a great movie it's toy story he put it out what's your what's toy your story two? my number three is the insider um Sure. Amazing movie. Michael Mann killed it again. I got a soft spot for uh, journalism movies. And this movie Me just, too. it's its unbelievable. Just the story told and the way he tells it and that he zigs out of his typical crime movie thing to make a movie just about people trying to do like the right thing in a world that won't let them do the right thing. Totally. And uh, it just, it rules. And it's his last movie before he gets uh, sucked into the digital filmmaking realm which i don't mind i love what he does digital but it's his last uh uh you know film film so you know the insider rules what's your two let's hear it mike eyes wide shut (laughs) (laughs) what's your what's what's your two no let's keep going come on i really do have to be sorry what do you got (laughs) My, my number two one of my five favorite comedies of all time south park the movie it's incredible, one of the funniest fucking choice. things ever made. One of the it is, it really made. is. It is. It's beyond words. Mike, what do you, what do you got? got? Mike? Number one, build it up. 
1999, I think folks know where this is going, but in 1999, Warner Brothers decided to take a big risk on a crowd-pleasing film that uh, did a lot to kind of combine genres, to combine science fiction and action. I know what he's doing. Combine uh, gunslingers and futuristic tech. (laughs) To combine the past and the present. (laughs) To create a film who... Here's, it's here's not only thing. hang on no, I just, I, we're not done yet a film that was not know, only influential but the soundtrack is immortal a film that could do so much to make so many things cool including tiny sunglasses that's right the, there was no just, way i wasn't going to pick the matrix oh look at what he did there he zigged <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I love that you did it. Um, oh, because was, if you did great. pick Wild Wild West, it would have <laughs> negated your entire fucking list. Is, is, Honorable but, mentions Wild Wild West and Jean-Luc Godard finishing his soir de cinema. But here's a real question. Here's a real question. Mm-hmm. That was a good bit. I enjoyed that. Is Matrix your actual number one? Yes, there's no okay. argument. The okay. Matrix is okay. a movie that you look at and you... I, there's movies that I love. I'll just say this. There's movies that I love for a specific reason that it's not a particular scene or a particular element, but as soon as the credits roll the first time I see it, I just get overwhelmed with a feeling of, I just saw something special. I got Absolutely. that with Black Panther. I got that with Blue is the Warmest Color. There's been a few films that I get that with, and The Matrix. Top Gun Maverick. One. Top Gun Maverick, sure. We've all been there. Oh, oh. All right, Tom. That's what What's I did in Top Gun time? Maverick like six times. But- it was like so many good moments where it just had to whip it out and just start yeah, going. Yeah. All right. Uh, my number, number my- one. My number one's The Matrix. I mean, oh wow, there's, there's, it's it's right. it's a perfect movie. It changed the world. And when Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine plays, you you just ready to go out and just start fucking punching people. Hell, that, we're ready that, to do that when that remix of Dragula plays, and that's early on. I mean, that, yeah. I mean the whole yeah. third, the whole third act of the movie is maybe the best third act of any blockbuster of all time. The second fucking Smith starts at, starts chasing Neo. Oh no! Yeah. Just just the whole Morpheus from the Morpheus rescue to the end. The movie is on a whole nother fucking level. And I, I, I fully agree. I tell you guys, I didn't expect at the end of this podcast because I believe Matrix is currently my number one, and I didn't expect at the end of the podcast to feel that at all. Like I did not see that coming. But it really is everything you guys are saying. Uh, you guys. You're the best, Mike. You literally were our first fan, so that we didn't know. So you validated us, uh, and and uh, the fact that you're a really interesting, fun, great guy who will put a three minute film on your thing is just icing on the cake. But it, you know, you you made us feel like we were doing this for a purpose way back when. So we thank you for that, and we're thrilled that we became friends. And thank you for bringing Tom into our world. Tom, there's no one like you. And uh, if we meet, obviously, you know, Phil has fallen in love with you uh, in many ways. Um, but we but we love having you. Know, Tom, you're like my brother uh, in many ways, too. So this has really been a wonderful, wonderful, like, like foursome situation for us. Uh, thrilled. You guys are great podcasters. Keep doing it forever and ever while we are in the retirement home. Uh, you guys are great. I, I couldn't say it better than Kenny. I'll just say, you know, we des- we really wanted to have you guys back one last time um, on the 99 podcast. And, you know, this movie is what this movie is. But you guys are the best. Um, I remember vividly 
Kenny's saying to me, have you seen this this Mike Natale guy is following us and he's talking to us? And it was just, it was a real, it's, it's everything Kenny said. It was a moment when we realized, you know, we were doing this for people that actually were connecting with it. Um, but this was, yeah, the fact that you're smart is really thrilling yeah. to us. <laughs> Yeah. Because <laughs> who knew? I I, yeah. I didn't think anyone. I didn't think anyone with, with with four brain cells would listen to this podcast. So yeah, I genuinely didn't think that it was going to do what it did. And and we're we're so we're so unbelievably grateful to have you guys as as friends and in our in our lives and on the on these podcasts. And it's just been it's been a blast, you know. So we 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 hope that uh, you know obviously our paths will cross again in the future. But this was a this was an absolute joy, truly. I mean, you guys are going to be on season three of You're Missing Out, so. <laughs> Cross pretty There's fucking quickly. Too. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, I don't know what, what the batch of movie is. is we're this, uh, this week. We're figuring out like all the little details of okay. season okay. three. So you're going to be the first one that right. gets the list. Kenny doesn't even get the list this season. We just picked a movie for him uh, because it's what too did you perfect. Pick for not me to. Again? I am a fugitive from a chain gang. There has never been a more <laughs> Kenny Nybart movie. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Can't there wait. is. I, I, I the and he's like, uh, my Russian, my Russian girlfriend already took it. I, but I texted Tom. I texted Tom, and I'm like, "This is this is the one. Like this, this is. There's never been a better opportunity to have Kenny have, on. Than do this. you have an idea as to what you think I'm going to pick? I have. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, because I mean, the thing is, like, this is the yeah, difference is, is that Kenny, the last two seasons, has basically gone on. Like, I want to pick something that's going to challenge myself, and I want to pick something that I haven't seen. And this and that. The two movies, Kenny, was Swing Time and High Noon noon. and and Top Hat. Top Hat. Hat. And and famously, Kenny showed up on Top Hat, started the episode going, I thought I'd have a lot to say. I have nothing to say about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And then we filmed 90 minutes. Um, So that's why, Kenny, we just went, this one's good for Kenny. Uh, No, it is a perfect (laughs) anyway. Phil, I don't know, because you did um, Sunset Boulevard and All About Eve you kind of had a particular lane and there's nothing this season that is in that lane. So I'm very curious to see where that goes. Great, can't wait. We just got to work out the details and then I'm sending you the list. Uh, once I talk to, well, as, as I think I can speak for Kenny when I say we can't wait to be on your podcast when, and you know, as frequently as you would like us to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Um, you guys are the best. Well, I, I, I just want to say thank you guys. You know, it's very, it's still so fucking weird to me that you guys have us on the show and <laughs> like, like you guys get like these crazy fucking guests and shit. Like, and then like the next week it'll be like, oh, and then Tom Lorenzo's talking about a movie and he's like ranting and raving about some Belgian woman sucking dicks. <laughs> like, like, I'm, like, demon from hell. Like I, like I, it's just, uh, it's, it's so fun. And I'm, I do really appreciate, I, I love you guys a lot. I'm very glad you guys are in my life and I, we consider each other friends Absolutely. and, um, it's a uh, very, it's very weird that this all started fucking like what, four or five years ago with Phil yep. walking into Kyle's tiny Brooklyn apartment <laughs> And to talk about Babe Pig in the City. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. Still and, one of our best and, rated episodes. And we have and we haven't looked back. And uh I, I can't wait to keep doing it in uh, other forms, be it you guys doing new shows or more seasons of our show. So uh yeah. thank you guys for being our friends and for having us on the show. And uh, you know, love the you best. guys. You guys the best. We love you guys. We'll see you soon. We'll talk to you soon. Bye guys. Podcast like it's just podcast like it's Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.